0: Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick out of 40percentgerman.com. Sadly, Dilly is out this week, but our stalwart producer, Simon Josie, is here to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey, Simon, how are you doing? G'day, Nick. I'm good. Yourself? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm just uh, I'm just enjoying the, the fact that we're on our Todd this week. I guess that Ooh. means we get to talk about sport for 60 minutes. All righty. Newcastle's playing Borussia Dortmund tomorrow, so that's at least a tangential connection to Germany.
1: Uh, uh, you didn't want to talk about the rugby?
0: What rugby? I don't even know that there's any rugby being played. <laughs> uh, dear listeners, uh, England was put out of the semi-finals of the uh, Rugby World Cup by South Africa. One point difference. Very sad. And? And I was amazed we got to the semifinals, so I'll take it as a and I'm, i don't i don't know I, I mean that's all i know really
1: are there any other semifinal games on no not as far as i'm aware <laughs> do you want to enlighten the listeners oh i just thought you might want to mention that new zealand trashed uh, argentina on uh, was it friday night i think in the other semifinal
0: i mean i feel i kind of feel like that was an inevitable result so i will be supporting new zealand in the final though that may disappoint certain listeners who are um, one listener in particular who is posting celebratory memes about South Africa on their uh, Sunday morning, they will remain nameless. You know who you are, but yeah, I'll be supporting New Zealand for that final. I think,
1: yeah, yeah I'm, I, I, I probably don't want to think about it. I'm too nervous. I just, yeah, let's move on.
0: How I, that's the thing, right? I'll never understand. Cause I, I'm not a su- massive supporter of su- successful teams and uh, New Zealand is the most successful team in rugby history. And uh I don't know how you get nervous. I would be just always confident. But
1: Yeah. I mean there there was one stage where when we we, we seemed to be so dominant it was kinda of boring. Like it just it was boring. <laughs>
0: God, and um imagine, imagine no, no, sorry
1: about that. <laughs> but um but it yeah, I mean, it's not like that. I mean, we didn't even make the final last uh World Cup, did no. we? The one in Japan. No. And Running up to this tournament, we got completely trashed by South Africa mm. in a warm-up game. Mm. So yeah, over the last few years, it's 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 been a little unsettling, Nick. I would say
0: it. It was one of the things I was thinking when Germany won the basketball World Cup was that like Germany certainly with regards to soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, has been so dominant, and it must be weird to feel like an underdog in a sport when. You're so used to being kind of a, uh, uh, a team that that gets quite far in a tournament, but then looking back at previous tournaments, Germany hasn't been so successful. So, Mm uh, certainly with regards to football, but yeah, I'd, I'd love the feeling, I'd love to have that feeling of, um of of oh we've done this before i know what this is like i know what that emotion is like e- e-
1: expectation yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: anyway uh moving on because i'm sure the listeners really don't want us to spend <laughs> 60 minutes talking about sport even if we want to um i got a question for you to to kick us off do you feel simon perhaps a little goofy uh,
1: well i think i think i'm probably too old to feel goofy isn't that right nick
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. Maybe we both are. Um, listeners, Goofy has been voted the Jugendwort uh, des Jahres for zweitausend Drian uh, and isn't that just great? So Goofy is your young person's word of the year. What it's a, it's a bit wild, you might say, <laughs> to use another famous young person's word of the year. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Goofy. It's another win for the English language, it seems. It, it is indeed. It does seem to be coming up over and over again. I did, uh, I did use a few of the, these, these kind of youth words in a, a class earlier today in front of a load of, uh, kind of first semester students. And they thought it was incredibly funny that the old man was saying, <laughs> saying these words, um, but, and, and there was, there was definite laughter of kind of contempt, <laughs> so I know mm. not to use them in any sentences. But, yeah, is there another reason, though, Simon, that you might be feeling, I don't know, a bit goofy? Yeah, well, look, um, just harking back to last
1: week's episode, there was a point in last week's episode where I was arguably putting on a bit of an air of superiority. I was being perhaps a little bit arrogant, talking down to you and Dilly a little bit. No,
0: never. I don't believe it.
1: I was... I was suggesting that perhaps you were not being cool enough in terms of listening to modern music, yes, and i and I made a recommendation to you, um, you did, yes, you did.
0: What was the recommendation
1: again? did Well, I suggested that you should listen to Olivia Rodriguez
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's come to my attention during this week since uh, publication of that episode that in fact, I got her name wrong, and it's actually Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs>
0: uh you promised me that i'd laugh at that and i have laughed at it
1: <laughs> yeah so humble pie being munched here in my little corner and um apologies for getting that wrong
0: of all the stupid shit we say on the podcast getting pulled up for a slight uh misremembering of so- of of an artist's name is not the worst thing that could happen
1: well i think it would be okay if i hadn't put on the sort of the ears and graces of um you know trying to show off and be cool and it just, come back and bit me big time, isn't
0: it? Don't, don't worry, Simon. I, I think you're cool. I've always thought you're cool. So, and then again, I, I don't think I'm very cool. So you can measure that how you like.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Moving on.
0: <laughs> moving on swiftly. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about was something that we uh, sort of challenge or a, a hill that we're both climbing, which is language learning. And I think of the three hosts of the show, you, me, and, uh, and lovely Dilly, uh, we're probably the kind of dunces when it comes to speaking German. Mm. Uh, you at least do have an out of sorts given that you've only been here since 2020. Uh, I, on the other hand, have no excuses. I do have a B1 certificate. It is gathering dust in the cupboard somewhere and I can survive most German conversations without totally embarrassing myself, unless I'm using the words like goofy or sheesh or cringe or vild, but I do lack a lot of confidence and my pronunciation leaves a lot to the imagination. Uh, and this led me to think about your language learning. And I was wondering, where do you put yourself on that language learning spectrum? Do you feel like you're steadily improving? Do you feel like you're plateauing? Uh, what's your thoughts?
1: Uh, okay, so I would say my experience has being a bit of a roller coaster ride in terms of peaks and troughs so when i came here i came here in what august 2020 and i went into f- what's called full time lessons which is actually only half time half half a day uh, yeah half a day per day of of full time lessons 5 days a week um, which initially started in class and then they went to online because it was you know uh, COVID lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera. And I did that for five or six months, I think. And that was like I by the end of that six months, I was mentally exhausted because I I only just I felt I only just barely kept up with it. And I was doing all sorts of things to to sort of facilitate my own learning. I somehow I d I don't know even to this day how I got through, but I did pass the B one exam. My Listening ability was then atrocious, and it still is, I would say, somewhat atrocious. It has improved a bit. Um, I didn't speak very much, but being an older student, I was very good about doing the homework, and so my writing was quite good. Mm. So I think I scored reasonably well in the the writing um, sections of the um the reading and the writing sections of the exam. Um, so I got through and passed B1, but immediately afterwards I sort of felt this great shame because I very quickly what I'd acquired I lost, and I felt really embarrassed by the fact that here yeah, I had the certificate that said I was B1, but actually I didn't want to tell anyone or admit to it um, because I felt completely useless whenever I engaged with anyone. And of course it was still during COVID, lockdown, and I had very little engagement with the outside world, full stop, let alone the German-speaking outside mm. world. Um, and so almost a year ago, my eldest son, who had done German at school and has an Austrian girlfriend, and he, he put me onto Duolingo and he said, you know, just just maybe you should try this. And so I started using that and I sort of used it every day since. And that's done a lot to help build up my confidence again, because it's extremely repetitive and it and I came in at a fairly low level. And it sort of started to reinforce things that not that I didn't understand the first time, but which perhaps I went over too quickly and, and didn't really bed in, you know, really well. And I would say even now today, I'm still not quite at the level in Duolingo that i achieved in terms of my knowledge of grammar and things mm. i'm getting close so i'm getting close to 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 that B1 level i would say in terms of the the grammar that i was exposed to possibly the vocabulary i'm not so sure about that when i when i finished doing my classes and when i took the exam so there's no way that i'm a B1 person even though i've got a B1 certificate mm. absolutely no way
0: yeah i i did the um i guess it's with the Volk, um, Volkshochschule um was the was the course was it was it with 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 them or was it a private course
1: or? it was it was actually a private um provider and even that provider did the examination but the immigration authorities who who said that i had to learn german they accepted the result they were they were quite happy with with what i'd done hmm. uh yeah
0: yeah i did that for Again, something similar. I was doing. it did an intensive course. I think it was the A1 course for like I think it was a month, maybe that, and and, and progressed through that. And uh, that was an everyday thing. Every after, sort of, I think it was like one o'clock till till five, we'd do it. And then I quickly had to find a job and, and and didn't really go back to any kind of organized course. And I've I've sort of bought textbooks and CDs. I'm always like I admire people who can learn through a textbook and doing the exercises i'm uh, i'm just not that way inclined really
1: even after i finished the course I, after about a month or so i really started to panic and i went back to doing exercises textbook based exercises and one of the, the the thing was is that i was doing stuff and then i was like having to type it into like google translate to make sure i would got it right because that's the thing It's like you know without without knowing what I was doing, whether it was right or wrong, I had to I had to sort of use tools to market. And this was actually the greatest thing one of the greatest things I found about going into starting to use Duolingo was that I was so much more efficient because I wasn't having to type Things in and check mm. things it was automatically telling me yes right wrong, and so it was highly repetitive, but it was also much faster I was able to move through stuff much faster so so that's that's that was one of the biggest things for me when i when I moved on to, to using Duolingo apart from doing previously what I was doing, which was you know the the textbook based revision
0: yeah I, I mean I like I like du- I use duolingo to effectively pass my uh, b1 certificate and I was using it every day dedicated 30 minutes every day to doing it. And that repetition really helped. But once I got past a sort of intermediate level, I found it was like, so much of it was being gate kept. I I was an early adopter when it started, Duolingo popped up almost a a few, maybe a year after I arrived and then I I downloaded it and then they started hiving stuff off and, and, and you having to pay for things. And it just seems to got worse and worse since, I, since I used it intensively, uh, before the pandemic. And, um, I, I, that's the thing I find really irritating about geolingo is you repeat, uh, like, I understand the, the the process, repeat, 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 It get stuck in your head. So it's like second nature, but there's a point where it's like, they extend the, the little courses that give you way beyond that point. So it would be like six levels or seven levels where it used to be four and you have to pass that in order to get onto the next level. But if you don't, um, if you pay, you can skip ahead and I know there's the gaps in my language and I know the areas where I need to practice, but they would be four or five levels ahead of where I was and you just couldn't access them. Mm. I always found that really irritating that it was like, it did feel like I was being being forced to either pay or, or kind of having to, to, to go through what was effectively really boring, spend 30 minutes being really bored, doing the same exercise over mm-hmm. and over again. And, and initially the, the sentences were quite funny and that's why they stuck in my head. But after a while I got really irritated with these sentences that just didn't feel like the German I was hearing. Do you not get that? Did you feel that? Like you would sort of hear it and they'd be like, that's not even what people say, you know?
1: Honestly, I have to say I, I, I don't know um, colloquial German well enough to, to, mm. to make a comment about that, um, but I understand what you're saying about the inflexibility in, in terms of the path and the fact that you have to go through those steps. Um, one of the things that I picked up early on, for me anyway, was that I moved away from using it on my phone to mm. using it in the web browser yeah
0: it's different right
1: uh, it's completely different and in fact i find use when I, occasionally i use it on the phone maybe i want to do some speaking and i want to because i you can't really do so many speaking exercises on the on the desktop um and and maybe sometimes i'm, I'm stuck somewhere and I, i've got some time to to kill so it's it's handy to use it I find it quite aggravating because they're always trying to push you to do something different. Blah blah blah. I find mm. the, the, web-based exercise, uh, or the the web based exercise or the web web based experience far more relaxing, and mm. and I and I much prefer typing things rather than tapping yeah. things out on my phone. Um, mm-hmm. So so I picked up that early on, and and that, that was that was a improvement for me moving away from the phone mm. plus also we pay like my wife and I think we have a family plan or something so it makes sense for both of us to use it and to pay for it mm. so that's also makes it a, a more pleasant experience I would say.
0: And I get the idea of like I paid for it for a long time and then as I began to use it less and less I became less inclined to to pay for it and then I stopped paying for it and the difference wasn't massive particularly. Mm. But what I irritated is I wanted to go through the grammar, you know, mm. or like look at an aspect of grammar. It would give you like explanations, but it wouldn't give you tasks based on on that. And uh, what I've actually joined recently is—I mean, this is another big language app—is is, is Babbel. Mm. They do—they've done a lot of promotion on online, but certainly a lot—a lot of podcasts I listen to have have as uh, a big push for for them. And I always knew about it. Again, it's another one that I'd, I'd, I'd sort of known about, and it has grown over the time I've been here. And I think I paid the annual fee that was like eighty euros. Mm. But the difference that 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 allows you just to access what you want, okay. whenever you want, and you can skip ahead, you can look at more complex stuff, and you can sort of delve into the grammar a bit more. And that's really what like what was what was appealing about Duolingo initially was that it was the gamification, you know, and and, and that kind of attracted me to the, to use it. But over time, I'm, I, I want, I want something a bit more serious. You know, I don't want to cutesy cartoons and stuff. I want just give me the brass facts, you know, how do I say this? How does it sound? And, and, and that's what I, I, I really like. Mm. But even then it's still very, it still feels real passive. You know, it doesn't feel, it does work. I feel, but it does feel very passive.
1: I don't know. I mean, not only have I not been here that long, but you know, I started learning German when I was 54 years old. Mm. And <laughs> I remember my teacher. She um one of my teachers, she was <laughs> she was so German. She came up to me one break. She said uh you seem to be struggling with that first I'd, I'd come in I wasn't late or anything, but for the first 15 minutes of a class, I just had no idea what was going on. And um, eventually I sort of, you know, caught up. And um, at the break, she came and said, oh, Simon, you seem to have been struggling a bit there. And I said, Yeah, I was, because I'm, I'm very honest and earnest about these things. And she just said, Yeah, we find it takes a bit longer with our older students. <laughs>
0: Pooh, <laughs> that's brutal man that's real brutal I'm not sure I'd want to hear that to be honest yeah it's
1: it, it um one of the biggest things I've learned is just to try not to stress about it just to keep practicing and not to stress cuz some days just nothing's working I can't it's just it's just not mm-hmm. working I can't remember anything and it's just going terribly and other days, particularly early in the morning, I sit down and I'm just like, God, this is so easy. I'm just whacking everything out. It's so easy. I'm hearing everything. I'm mm. remembering everything. I'm not even having to think about things. Things are just coming. So, yeah, I've, I've kind of stopped, tried to remove that shame that I was feeling, you know, straight after I got the B1 and just thought, you know, just there's no point in feeling bad about it. Just mm. try and keep plugging away at it. I try, I mean, like I say, I try and do an hour a day, but I don't I do not do an hour a day. Sometimes I do an hour, and sometimes mm. I do, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour. Um, but I do some every day. And I think it's been helpful also that my wife has been trying to learn some German for the last six months as well, and she's been doing Duolingo in classes. And I think she also now realizes it's quite a bloody hard language to learn, mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So, yeah, just... Try not to stress about it as much as I did, and you you start start to hear more things on the radio, mm-hmm. like we were talking about last week, or in conversation, and people say things when you walk past them with the dog in the forest, and you go, "Oh, yeah, I understood that completely." And yeah, yeah it's just yeah. little little things start to come through, and you just try not to stress about it. Yeah,
0: but I find I find because this obviously I teach English, and and I try and follow my own my own recommendations that I give to students about, about kind of engaging with native sources. And I have obviously read a lot of news, listen to a lot of news podcasts. And, uh, I was like listening to one a day where they were interviewing Robert Harbeck and the, the, the initial part of the conversation I'd get, and then you start to lose, lose the thread of what's being said and you're trying to always trying to catch up because the language is so above, above my level mm. or it's there's a lot of, um kind of colloquial phrasing or, or kind of just funny phrasing that you, you sort of get hooked on you know like, oh, that's an odd phrase and then you're thinking about it then you've missed mm. 30 seconds of what's been said you're like crap yeah um, i didn't get any of the nouns like where are the verbs what was the prepositions you know and i find that that's really challenging but often what what always makes me laugh is when i i kind of turn on i turn on the tv or i'm looking at a, a German video pops up on 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 YouTube, and I watch it, and I'm like, oh, I did understood all of that. I know exactly what I know exactly what they're talking about. Some of the details, some of the words are, are missing, and quite often now is yeah, you know the words from the context. Hmm. But the thing I always do, which is still a massive issue, and I'm sure it is for a lot of people, is the translation element because I can't translate what's being said, even if I understand it, and I still construct a lot of sentences where my initial thought is. The English phrase, Okay. how can I convert that? And I think that's such a bad way of approaching it because there's so much phrasing that is just isn't, British phrasing isn't going to help, British English phrasing isn't going to help.
1: That's, I mean, luckily my, my father who I, I speak, I Skype with my father every, every Friday night, which is his Saturday morning in New Zealand. And, um, he, he speaks German and he, he was a speaker, a, a teacher of German and a teacher of French as well as English. And so he's Quite good to bounce things off because we we talk about you know especially if I've, I've had difficulty with something we'll talk about it. but um, you know one of the things that really amuses me about German is that sometimes you'll see a, a grammatical structure or a sentence structure which is you know the complete mirror copy of, of what we have in English. Mm-hmm. And then you get other structures which are just completely alien to to an English speaker. And that that kind of fascinates me that that you can have so, some things that are so close and some things that are just so different. Um, so so that's also part of me trying not to be stressed about the language and try and find the language interesting, like to try and somehow find a way to enjoy what I'm doing, even though it's bloody hard.
0: But that's it, isn't it? It's it's the enjoying the, what you're doing. Like I enjoy I enjoy listening to football commentary in German because Absolutely. there's a lot. Yeah, it's, like, it's a, but I like because I feel like I learn a lot of new words. I'm interested in it. I, I like I like the phrasing and I like the the kind of funny um, idioms that, that come up. I was talking about doppelpack today, and like I like I, I like those hard K sounds and and but I find that I know I know a lot more German for football because it's interesting. Hmm. Whereas or like politics. Um, I pick up the words and, 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 and I don't necessarily, when I watch speeches and when the, the Bundestag's having a debate again, it's very challenging cause it's quite high level and I have to watch it a few times and then maybe I have to translate some words, but then I feel like that's like a really positive process cause you're actually engaging in the language. Whereas there's other instances where I just like, you just, it, as soon as I get bored, I just, my mind starts to wander and then I can't concentrate i can't get it back you know Mm. and you sort of feel you constantly feel like uh um there's this there's this pressure to get it right and and i get it when i speak to my neighbors or or when it's the um the family come over and you don't want to look like an idiot and then you realize like i understand everything everyone's saying conversations i can follow Mm. not a problem and it comes for you to say something and you're trying to explain stuff and i get i've got better at it Mm. i was trying to explain something the other day, we were talking about politics at the table. And I was like, it's so frustrating when you just can't, you can't express yourself in the right way. And obviously people, people then go, oh, well, you just need to work harder at it. And I think it's such a, I feel like, I feel like the community isn't always as supportive of people whose language acquisition is a bit slower or isn't as, as precise as others. I always feel nervous when I, when I write things in German and, and, and I put a, like a tweet, something in German. I do that very rarely because I get really nervous about maybe I've got the wrong phrase or the wrong like verb ending, or I have used the wrong word. And then I like, I'll have a phrase that I know and I'll write it out and I'll look at it and I'll go, that's not right. And then I'll put it into, into a translator and it's correct, but I have no confidence in it. I have no confidence in that it's correct and and the worst most punishing thing is where you get something wrong and then like if a native speaker corrects you i feel like all right well that's like expected and helpful but when it's a non-native correcting your german i don't know what maybe that's just me but i feel like it's 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 kind of a bit smarmy well i don't know what you think about that
1: well uh, first of all i'd I'd love to be able to sit at a, a, a At a dinner table and follow the conversation and i'd I'd be you know just so happy at the stage if I could just understand what was going on mm-hmm. fully, mm. let alone contribute but we've also i think we've talked about this, I know you've certainly talked about it i um I kind of like to be funny and it's mm-hmm. and it's really hard and and I've cracked a few jokes what i think I've cracked a few jokes in German, like the first time we we have a, a neighborhood whatsapp group on our street mm. here. And the first time someone said, "Oh, watch out there's a Blitzer on the street," which I thought what what okay check the um the mm-hmm. dictionary and there were two you know definitions given for this word the first one was someone who was streaking you know running around without mm-hmm. their clothes on and the <laughs> second one was you know a radar a speed camera yeah and, yeah. and so I thought, this is hilarious and so I wrote yeah, yeah. and of course I wrote a message I said, oh Oh I've just looked in my di- I said this all in German I said oh I've just looked in my dictionary I took a half an hour writing it checking it in Google Translate making <laughs> exactly, sure it was all yeah. right and I said you know oh I just I saw this and I checked my dictionary and cuz hopefully people know that I don't speak German really and um and I said oh, it was this definition this definition and the second I said oh, I hope it's the second one, not the first one you know mm. and at least one of my neighbors who knows I don't speak German really, or that I have a very basic level of German. He came back with a smiley face and a tick. But I thought maybe this joke that's was done guessed. ten years ago in Germany and everyone's got over <laughs> it. it. But been, for me it was hilarious. hilarious.
0: Yeah. yeah. It could be just a, like, oh yeah, I guess that's so like so like two thousand and one <laughs> yeah, or something yeah. like that, you know? Um and you're right, you wanna communicate in the way in the way you communicate in English or like to, you want to be have yourself. your own flair and style and yeah, be yourself. And sometimes you're kind of restricted into like, you can't, like humor doesn't tr- translate necessarily in the same way. And, and that's obvious, but what I do find, I find really reassuring is I was talking to students about, about this the other day. One of the students said, oh, but you're like Germans really good. And I felt like really, oh, that was more appealing or like I felt better about that compliment than i would usually from like if my my my, my german family did that <laughs> and maybe there were maybe there were, like i don't know i always feel like i'm being placated, like by I, your family i you mean but like whenever i get compliments it's a british thing right not accepting compliments well like someone so i remember i can't remember what it was i heard somebody say this that that um people who can't like accept compliments like they're hard to pet the they're hard to pet <laughs> you know, like the hard to sort of, and I like that phrase and that's how I feel. And maybe they were buttering us up, maybe they were being nicer than they needed to be, but they fa- felt very earnest when they were, when they were saying, oh, like, when did you learn, did you learn know German before you came? And I was like, no. And they're like, oh, wow. Like, that's really good and, uh, that you've, you, the, 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 you're have you at this level and, and it must be very difficult. And we had like a nice conversation about how, like the difficulties of learning different languages. And then, of course, they turned around and told me they speak five languages. So you're like, bloody hell! (laughs) How did you learn five languages? It's insane.
1: One of the things, because I mean, many years ago, more than twenty years ago, I lived in China, and you know, we did some lessons, but we, I would say that we had good restaurants, taxi, shopping Chinese, Um, and despite my difficulties in my pronunciation of German. I I know I had a pretty good Beijing accent. I could could sound pretty local in the few phrases I knew in in Beijing. But what I encountered with all my colleagues at work was that they couldn't really understand why I'd bother to learn Chinese, (laughs) even though I was living in China. They just thought, Mm -hmm. oh, your English is so good. (laughs) It's like... Yeah, funny that. <laughs> yeah, coming from New Zealand where we speak English, you'd be surprised. But the, <laughs> but they just could not see the point. In why would you put any energy whatsoever into learning Chinese, even if you were living in China? It was, and I just thought that was bizarre. I thought that was really weird.
0: But well, I've come across that before, where people are like, "Well, why, are you, why are you bothering?" You know, um, I, think I think it's a, it's a lot of sh- thing,
1: isn't it? I think. Yeah
0: yeah but you don't yeah there's that but like you realize you realize how much of the things you need to do you have to do in german mm. and i think for those people who've arrived here with no no connection to the country and they're just learning as they go it's a survival requirement really to to kind of get by you, ha- you have that trope of everyone speaks English. But the other one is that, that like we talk about it a lot where you speak German and someone speaks to you in English Mm -hmm. that happens at work all the time. It happened just, just yesterday and somebody, somebody replied to me in English and I was like, oh, is my German so bad? And they went, no, I just thought, I just thought it'd be easier. And I'm like, well, yeah, it is, but some things shouldn't be easy. And, and you kind of got to earn it, but I had this interaction a couple of weeks ago with someone on online and they said that I should, oh, we should, we should thank Germans for speaking to us in English. And I thought it was such a crazy, such a crazy kind of perspective on things. Like, like we should be should, sort of almost like we should be groveling in in our uh, kind of, um, gratitude of German speaking English. And I felt like, I dunno, I, I, I think, I think it's it's a two way street, of course. Like I think we could, should be thankful if someone can speak English to us, makes our lives a bit easier. But also the the challenge is to, 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 to speak the language in the country you've come to, but you also within the English speaking community in Germany, you have a lot of people who are here for a couple of years, Mm. a couple of years and then they're off Mm. and they're going and doing something, maybe it's for work, maybe they're just here because they want to try out living in a different country. And that's great. I've been watching a lot of Harry Kane's German progression, and it's kind of nice uh, seeing it, but, um, he's getting better i guess i don't know whether he's taking lessons but it's not he's not offering sort of press conferences in german or anything like that Uh, not yet anyway maybe in the future but that's the kind of short-termism you think about where people are here and then they're gone and i can understand why a lot of people would sort of not take an interest in wanting to learn but then i'm like how do you deal with like certain things how do you deal with interactions in shops or interactions with the state like communicating with letters from, from the government or something like that, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that still is, that's still extremely difficult for, for me, for us with written stuff. It's okay. I can let workers into the house. If someone needs to check the boiler and stuff and, you know, I almost kind of enjoy now the challenge if they don't speak in English because it's like if we can get through this and get the basic stuff done, it's like whew, what an achievement, big tick for the day. I mean, it really feels mm. like that. Like whenever I go anywhere and start in German and it stays in German the whole way, it's like it's like a, a little mini achievement for the day. I had quite a funny <laughs> interaction with it, with an older guy who I know who's got a sick dog and I was walking our dog on the street the other morning and said hello to him. And he started off in German, you know, he said, oh, I haven't seen you for a while. I said, and I went, yeah. And then, he, <laughs> and then he continued on in German. And I was sort of following, he was talking about the skin of his dog, I think, and blah, blah, blah. And then he said something, I went, "Ah, uh, was bedeutet? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, I just didn't understand. And he switched to English, which was fine. And he, and he didn't make a big drama about it because he knows yeah. me and he usually speaks to me in English. But it's kind of like i kind of like the way that he tried speaking to me he didn't make a big deal about it but he just he started in german he could see that i understood and he continued in german and, and yeah let's see
0: yeah well i had that i had the Kamin Kera came the, the the chimney sweep i guess oh. the person who checks your boiler and checks your yeah. chimney and checks out all that sort of pressure and everything and they, they never make appointments and it just doorbell rang i was on my own in the house i went downstairs and, and they were there and he didn't speak any English, and my first like instinct, it was almost like reverting back to when I couldn't speak any German at all, and I was like, oh, like trying to sort of work out a way where I di- he didn't have to come in the house. I was like, oh, fuck it, like let's just do this, and he was kind of about to go away, and I was like, ah, um, uh, I know a man, yeah, um, like uh, um, Tom Ryan, is okay, um. And, and, and he came in, he did his stuff. And we had this conversation about the boiler and I told him about some issues with the pressure and we got through it and I made some mistakes and it was fine. And, and I was like, as to the left, I was like, oh, I don't know why I was so like, my instinct was just to go like, like, but protect myself, better protect my ego here. Um, I don't want to look stupid in front of this workman. And I think those instances of where that, that was a real change. Cause I, I know even a few years ago, I would have just avoided that. I probably wouldn't even have answered the door. Cause they would just be like, oh God, like it could be anyone. And, or like when we often get a lot of people come around trying to sell us windows and it is quite useful in that moment to go, ah, and shoulder mein deutsch is nicht so good. (laughs) And they go, ah, kein problem. And they give you a leaflet and they bugger off. (laughs) So you can sort of flip in and out of it, but putting yourself in really uncomfortable, awkward positions is good when you know you're going to have to speak, um, German and not, and you can't just wing it and, and kind of danglish your way through it, uh, which can, which can be, um, a strategy, I think. So I, I did enjoy that, but then at the start of the semester, we do like a first semester introduction for all the students and we sat down and I say, like, oh God, this is going to be all in German. It's going to be academic German. I'm going to understand nothing and it's going to, I'm going to feel really embarrassed and, um, I hope no one sort of asked me something in German and then I, would argue do I speak in German or in English? And I'm obviously part of an English department, teaching English. So the we sort of being at a university, you can kind of impose your-
1: Culturally impose your- uh...
0: Well, I mean, in, in a classroom, I'll be damned if like students will come to you and speak to you in German and I'm like, and I'm like, I'll say to them, like, are we going to speak German or are we going to speak English? Cause this is why you're here. You want to be in a class or you get an email in German and I always respond in English. Cause I'm like, this is the reality, right? You want to do a course in English? You want to learn English? You want to be an English teacher? You're going to have to do this. So I feel it in that sense. It's not about protecting me. It's about my duty to hmm. kind of, to do that. And it should be like that. And, and they all are very capable speakers, whether they're nervous or not. But when it comes to, to that moment where you're, you're quite confronted with it, but I was really happy. It was two hours this session and I understood sort of 98% of it and the bits I didn't get, I got from context Mm. and I was like, oh God, maybe I could actually sit through a lecture. Like if I did a history lecture or something, I could sit through it. I don't think I could give a lecture in German, but it was a real surprise to me that, that, oh, I do, I do understand most of everything that needs, that's being said here. Um, and that's good. And also then seeing people speak in English who are professors and they were maybe getting a slight pronunciation wrong here, maybe an errant preposition or like, it wasn't always perfect. It was very good. Don't get me wrong. Fantastic level of language use, of course. And and it's impressive to see one lecture after another stand up and talk about their specialist topics in, in English. And, uh, but it also gave me a lot of confidence of like, oh, this is the standard, right? That's, that's something I think often when you hide yourself from these conversations or try and protect your ego you miss out on that opportunity to go oh there is imperfection and we can live with it um yeah maybe we just need to seek that out a little bit more Mm.
1: so nick uh taking a leaf out of your book um or your playbook in fact i wanted to ask you do you know what the four minority languages of germany are
0: oh, i totally do uh there's bairish There's pot yeah berlin schnauzer no no uh... stop right there no no. <laughs> no no i'm not i'm not getting them oh no, okay. that's all
1: bollocks i'm afraid <laughs> um so you know according to wikipedia the official language of germany is german duh Um, With over 95% of the country speaking standard German or a dialect of German as their first language. However, there are four minority languages which also have official status in Germany. And they are Upper and Lower Sorbian. That's one group. Danish. North and Sater, I think it is, or Sater, who knows. Frisian. And then mm-hmm. Romani or Romani, depending on whether you're English or American. Um, so those are the four minority languages. And you know, I was doing some digging around and I'll explain why in a minute. But back in May 2021, the local DE, which is a online English language newspaper that probably most people have heard about in Germany, they yeah. were um kind enough to produce an article about these four minority languages and gave some helpful information about each one. So Upper and Lower Sorbian, these are found in Eastern Germany, these languages, Mm -hmm. um, with Upper Sorbian being closest to modern Czech and Slovak, while Lower Sorbian is closer to Polish. And the area in which most Sorbs live is Lusatia, which stretches from Saxony to Brandenburg. Uh, And in 2021, it was estimated that up to 60,000 Sorbian people lived in that region. Danish, Mm -hmm. well, we all can guess where that that is that area, and they said in 2021 there are around 50,000 people with German citizenship who identify with the Danish minority group, mm-hmm. and obviously the majority of these Danes live in Germany's northernmost state, Schleswig-Holstein. Uh, northern Zeta or Zata or Sata Frisian, probably about eight to ten thousand active speakers um, in 2021. And those people live on the west coast of Schleswig uh, Holstein uh, again mm-hmm. close to the German Danish border oh and then Zata frisian is spoken in northwestern the northwestern region of, of Lower Saxony Romani that's I didn't realize this but actually it's it's generally believed that the Romani languages originated in India as many of mm-hmm. many aspects of the language spoken today are closely related to Sanskrit Uh, Most Roma people living in Germany identify as Sinti and speak a a language variant called Sinta Romani that is heavily influenced by German. The the language is predominantly spoken, so there are very few written sources of it. And across Europe, there are between eight and 12 million Sinti and Roma people, of which about 150,000 currently live in Germany. So after all of this and I, I hope you're still with me um
0: no no i am I, th- I think it's really interesting like really i mean just just the point i was going to make is the sorbians it's not a version of german I, i've heard that often i've seen documentaries about about the sorbs and the sorb culture because it it's very distinctive um and they have a very distinctive traditional dress and often when i talk about lederhosen mm-hmm. or like german traditional dress people will, will post pictures about of the sorbs because Again, it's a, it's a minority culture within, within Germany. And, and obviously Danish is, is, I mean, the Scandinavian languages are German, but the thing I was thinking, the two I was, the, the Romany point is interesting because I mean, it, it shows how little I know about, about this, this particular culture. Your sort of assumption is it's Roman like, or like romance language, or it'll be connected to Latin maybe it's, so it's interesting here in its connections to, to India and Sanskrit. Uh, but the the thing that stood out for me is the Frisian, because I remember watching. This is a long time ago. I remember watching a video of um, Eddie Izzard uh, went to Frisia to buy a cow, and he only spoke in Old English. And so he used Old mm-hmm. English, and the Frisian person he was speaking to could understand most of the Old English, and the Frisian that, that this person spoke was also had that connection. There was like that language connection between old English and, and Frisian that I thought, I mean, that's really, I find that really fascinating that we have this really dead version of English that we could still use to speak Frisian So yeah, I mean, it's super interesting. Yeah. I
1: mean, and this, I mean, this is the kind of thing I enjoy discovering and, and often I discover st- stuff like this when speaking with my, my father and, and probably the thing that I can recall immediately is he says, Oh, you know, the Scots, they use the term Kenan to know, so I know someone, they say, ah, oh, you know, I ken I him, I know him. Oh yeah, Which, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, and- it's the same in German, right?
0: Yeah, like um, the, one of the questions you'll often get, certainly when I lived in Volker, was do you ken, do you ken, do you know? But they also use Kirk as well for church. Oh yeah,
1: yep, 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 yep.
0: So there's, there's a lot of these little connections as well. Yeah, like
1: and-, that. and that's just amazing. So again, once once you know one language really well, like we know English really well, and then you start exploring another language that you don't know so well but has roots and connections to your own language it gets it, yeah it's it becomes really really interesting and again it's what i was saying earlier it's about trying to find try not to hate learning the language try to find some enthusiasm interest in what you're doing and and not stress oh, yes, about totally. the rate at which you're learning you know just to mm-hmm. enjoy it somehow yeah um okay so you know i mentioned the official status of these minority languages. And so what does official status actually mean? So in 1992, Germany was one of the first countries to sign the Charter for Regional or Minority Languages from the Council of Europe, uh, which aims to preserve minority cultures in modern Europe, encouraging tolerance and diversity. And thanks to the charter, these minority groups now receive financial support at both state and national level in order to fund bilingual schooling and education on local cultural history. A key challenge tackled by the Charter is the preservation of minority languages for the younger generations, for whom they are becoming less and less relevant. Now, you might wonder, why did I go down this rabbit hole? Um, Which I did Mm -hmm. last Mm -hmm. Sunday morning. And it was actually (laughs) after reading. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm a fun guy, I tell you.
0: Yeah, rock and roll on a Sunday, (laughs) right?
1: Um, So, yeah, so... I was reading that Alsatian, which is a German dialect from the Alsace region of France, is for the first time to be taught in French schools. And again, I have to credit the local.de for this information. I would hope most people who listen to the podcast have some uh, awareness that this Part of the world has sort of been tossed around like a volleyball between France and Germany. I think three times it's it's changed hands or changed sides.
0: Oh yeah, it was it was a big a big dividing line what was eighteen seventy one, and then in nineteen nineteen and the the Versailles Treaty and yeah, it's yeah. Big, the big Barney over it for a long time. Yeah, sure. and
1: and if you if you are geographically challenged, it's a, it's a region in eastern France on the west bank of the Rhine. Um, bordering both Germany and and Switzerland. And the region, the the Alsace region, has a a population of just over 1.9 million. And, you know, surprise, surprise, in France, the language is actually (laughs) banned for a long time, even though it's extremely widely spoken. And so why, you know, this is such a big deal that it's now going to be officially taught in certain schools. It's spoken by approximately half a million people And even within the Alsace region, there are variations, quite wide variations, I understand. And of course, not surprisingly, there's a lot of concern about the decline in the use of the the language, Mm -hmm. particularly amongst those under 50. So this is actually a really long-winded way of me getting to a point, which is that one of the things that I find most fascinating, and it arises out of my particular circumstances about where I live in Germany. So I live in Bonn, which is pretty Western, and it's quite feasible for me to drive into four other countries um, within within a day. So I can I can literally drive from where I live into the Netherlands, to Belgium, to Luxembourg, and to France. I can do that all within a day and do a big loop. Be a big day, but I can actually do it. And one of the things that I really enjoy doing is seeing as I go over those individual borders to what extent language drifts either side of those borders. And, you know, you go to France, you go into France, boom, it stops straight away. There's no German, nothing's going on.
0: Yeah, exactly. But
1: the, the coolest, and the story I always like to tell, there's this place, and sorry, I've forgotten the name of the town, but it's in eastern Belgium, so quite southern eastern Belgium, which is... I'd say it's at least five or 10 kilometers within, within Belgium, away from the border. And everything is in German. You know, the Metzgeri, the butcher, all the, all the real estate signs, they're all in German. And my favorite one is the cop shop, the police station, the big police station. It doesn't say polis or police, which I think, or police or whatever, which is what you see in most places in Belgium. It says polizei. There's no doubt about it. And it doesn't say, it doesn't have multiple, it just has one Mm -hmm, sign mm -hmm. in German, Polizei. So this is what I find really fascinating. But then the other thing I've discovered is that you go into Luxembourg and I'm just completely confused because it seems in Northern Luxembourg, which I would have guessed was maybe a bit more German speaking. No, they seem to be, particularly in the rural regions, just completely French speaking they they don't speak mm-hmm. anything else but French, but if you go down to the south, the southeast corner, everything seems to be in German. I'm I'm talking about particularly the the area um, that that borders the the Mosel or Mosel or the Moselle River, mm-hmm. which of course it, directly across from that river you're you're back into Germany. So I guess it's no surprise. But um, yeah, Luxembourg is just a continual source of fascination for me. But, but that's what I quite like about living in this part of Germany. And I, you know, I almost feel a bit of sympathy for you, Nick, cause there you are in deepest, darkest bind, which to me just appears to be the Texas of Germany.
0: Oh, that's a bit, that's a bit harsh. I, I mean, that's the, it's one of those things that you often get that's the comparison, right? Is I don't know where it came up. I think it was someone written about it. It's, it's, it's the trope I always hear is like, oh, it's the Texas of Germany. And it's, it was the inspiration for a, a blog I wrote years ago about actually Bavaria is the Yorkshire of Germany. <laughs> and that was my, my comparison because it kind of irritated us. It was like, it's, it's very, it's, 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 I mean, obviously a, a lot of Americans have lived in Bavaria certainly since the, the Second World War mm. and it was a sphere of influence for the Americans and a lot of American bases. So I get that. But I, I feel the comparison is, is less and less apt. But people like to pull it out, especially when they talk about politics, and they go, "Ah, oh, Republicans mm. and and CSU and and I don't I don't necessarily think there's a lot of similarity. There's a very superficial similarity, as in a very superficial similarity between Yorkshire and and and, and Bavaria too. But I I do understand that it is a trope. It's something that talk, people talk about a lot.
1: Anyway, maybe next time you come to Bonn, we can do a day trip to uh, to Luxembourg or to to Eastern Belgium.
0: Well. What's you were talking about the signs the signs what I like is the radio so we when we're traveling to Austria or we'll go to Switzerland uh, I love it cuz the the radio shifts and like schweizerdeutsch like is is really it's it's really musical you know it's very sing-songy that's at least what i hear and there's been a lot of news about um Switzerland and, and I, I kind of it, it kind of it makes me laugh cuz it's so different and and interesting to hear especially on the radio and, uh, Austrian German is, is very particular too. And I like, I like that transition of the, the, the radio suddenly switches. And you're like, bloody hell, is that German still? Or you f- basically like fall asleep and you wake up in the car and you're like, well, what the hell am I hearing on the radio? What is this? Um, I wasn't ready for this. And, uh, actually during my B1 exam, the, the bastards threw in a conversation between an Austrian, uh, German speaker and a Swiss German speaker. And it was like, you. Really are like pushing the boat out fair there a little you. bit. Nah, it really wasn't fair at all. I, mean, I still passed, but it was like I have blocked it as soon as I uh, I heard it. I was like, "God, uh, I'm gonna have to get this the second time round." Because it is it is distinctive mm-hmm. for sure. But I mean, you, you talk about Belgium, and Be- Belgium's like got it's, the, the language divisions there are very, very. Um, there's a lot of political elements oh, yeah. to it because they they've got Dutch and French and German. You've got the Walloons as well. And you don't want to get the balloons and the Germans mixed up because they, that definitely is not something that they're happy about. And they have like protected status as well within, within Belgium. But I don't know about you. I I sometimes hear of some Dutch or I'll I'll follow people on Twitter that are Dutch and, uh, there'll there'll be a video and I'll play it and I'll be like, oh, I get, I get some of that. And when I've been to Amsterdam, I've heard Dutch speakers and I'm like, oh, I can sort of. Kind of understand what what's being said. There. Yeah, I mean, certainly
1: written Dutch. You can you can see the connections with German. It's it's like oh, I know enough German to be able to figure out what's going on. That's that's cool. My father once said he was on a train with um with some Dutch people, and he was quite drunk, and he was he could understand everything they were saying, and he was trying to speak to them in his sort of drunken German, and he thought he could communicate, but they whether they were been honest, I don't know, but they said they couldn't understand what he was saying, but he felt that he, he could understand everything they were saying completely.
0: Yeah. I, I, at university, I, I lived in a house with a Dutch guy, a German guy and a guy from Burundi. And the four of us, um, obviously we spoke English, but it was interesting because the Dutch guy could understand pretty much everything the German guy was saying, just couldn't speak yeah. German. And like when the German guy's family came over, He was, and I didn't really have to speak any German at that point. He was kind of translating what they were saying. And, 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 and it was, that was quite fun because it was just interesting how much he could translate and speak any German. He didn't really learn it, but he definitely could understand it. And I love those, like that, those residual elements of, of when like Europe was a lot more united in its language or in its cultures. Um, I always find that I said a a harks back to, to a, a very ancient time where the languages weren't so distinct in the same way that when you go, when you look at Scandinavia, cause that Scandinavian languages, a lot of them are like you said, Danish, but a lot of the, the Scandinavian languages are a German origin languages too. And that's, that's always interesting seeing those divergences and those shifts, even though, I mean, I, I couldn't watch a Swedish TV show and understand it, I think it's far too removed at yeah. this point. Um, but. I, I like crossing those borders and, 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 and it, makes, it makes, it makes us realize how much of a pleasure it is to live in the center of Europe and kind of move around in these different cultures and hear these different, different versions of languages and different approaches. It's nice to hear that they're going to teach Alsatian because, um, I think that's a really important thing to do, isn't it? You've got to retain the culture somehow.
1: Yeah. I mean, they quoted in the article, one teacher in one of these French schools, And she spoke French, German, and Alsatian, all three fluently. And she was able to switch, you know, amongst all three of them in in the class without any difficulty whatsoever.
0: Oh, it's so, so impressive that it's so impressive. It's, it's a a trite thing to say, but obviously language and culture go hand Mm -hmm. in hand, and I just think that it must be so interesting having those three languages because French obviously is quite distinct. I don't want to upset any French people out there. Cause, um, y- y- you know, <laughs> you know, the English French dynamic. <laughs> I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy. I'm not trying to insult you. Dear French listeners, if we have any, but I wonder if they get like, I wonder if they get kind of confused when they're speaking Alsatian German or when they're speaking German or do they is there bleed over you know if you get them drunk do they start like slipping into different versions of, of this this language
1: I, I mean I'm I'm a presuming and I don't know that Alsatian is closer to German than to French but I mean French and German are completely different right
0: Yeah I mean y- yes yes and no I mean what I always It's a funny thing that you, I'm not sure how much you've encountered this. There's a lot of French loan words in German and there's French loan words in English, right? Because, because French is part of, very much part of English. French was spoken as the language of, of, of the Royal court for hundreds of years. And big parts of France were basically part of the English sort of, um, is it the Merovingian empire, the Plantagenet empire? I can't remember which one it is. I think it's the Merovingian empire. So there's like large parts of France that were interconnected. And so we have a lot of French loan words, but like we don't put the we don't put the accent on it, or as former co-host Simon would say, the stink on it, right? <laughs> we, we're not going to go like that. We won't say we we'll won't go to a, uh, go to the bakery and go, um, can I get a croissant? Uh, you know, a pound chocolat? Because people would think you're really pretentious. But here they do. But the the one uh, the one word that I always find interesting in English, we talk about a buffet, right? So, we aren't oh, going to the buffet mm-hmm. where we are keeping that French, retaining that Frenchness. But, but the buff, a buffet in uh, German is often referring to a piece of furniture as well. So, we have a, a buffet, but they don't say buffet, they say buffet. And I was <laughs> really like, oh, why, do, why is that word not in French? But like loads of other words are like, and you'll hear them sort of thrown into, into conversation. Where you'll be people speaking German, and it's like when you hear English spoken in 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 um in a German sentence, and it's kind of a, a bit surprising. But there's there's loads of like very basic words that um you could go through that are, again of just very German. Abenteuer is a good example, I think, of a word that is originally um of French mm. origin, um which is very very different uh, from the French pronunciation, which I'll not attempt because everyone knows my French is is, is different. Or oh, we got, um, and Allianz, um, is another one. And, and I think that's quite funny, but hearing Germans put the, the very much the strong French, uh, pronunciation. I always think that's so like entertaining, uh, cause it's so surprising. Creme fraiche is one I'd like
1: as well. Mm. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, We don't, it's a restaurant and it's always going to be a restaurant
0: yeah yeah but we have uh, there's a way it's like learning history you'd have like uh lesi's fair which i know i'm butchering (laughs) right but that's like another example of where we just like fuck we'll just get rid of the language here we'll just sort of pull it apart and and hope for the uh hope for the best here but yeah i uh, i mean the obvious the obvious one in german is pomfritz pomfritz or pommes 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 is it's more germanic version (laughs) it gives me a. Pomme is bitter <laughs> um yeah it's it's a little bit it's a little bit more uh, germanic than it than than it, um you'd expect but yeah i do love it i do love that, that hearing it for sure
1: that brings us to the end of the show we're off to take a1
0: french wish us luck memon francais See, I'm pretty good at this shit. Zach um, <laughs> 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 Uh Oh, terrible. Uh, apologies, French listeners. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag decadesfromhome or lowercase on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly You can tweet me at 40%German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and piss them next time, I'll. Cheers. Cheers.